Welcome to the Moonflower Path Podcast. This space is for the highly sensitive, the creatives, the earth-loving, the caregivers, the weirdos, the feelers, the change makers, and dreamers of the world. Here, we are all about guiding you to trust your body intuition so you can find home and shift culture. Through the exploration of somatic practice, self-care, and seasonal ritual, my hope is that you will be inspired to be in harmony with yourself and in a dance with the earth. I'm your host, Carolyn, and I'm so honored and grateful to be here with you today. Hello, Moonflower, and welcome to our first guest conversation of season two. If it's your first time here, welcome. Really lovely to have you here. And please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and download our cozy free resource called In Tune with the Moon, helping you to listen to, trust in, and honor your body intuition so that you can feel empowered to take up space in your life with the moon by your side every step of the way. You can get access to this free resource by clicking the link in the show notes or visiting our website, themoonflowerpath.com. Today's guest is not only an amazing person, a wise soul, and a dear friend, she actually happens to be my kind of like biz bestie or accountability buddy when it comes to running this business because she also runs her own private practice as a counselor and we meet up every two weeks on Zoom and talk all things business because it is a lonely and a challenging path at times as well as a beautiful path. So just kind of side note for folks who are listening who are creative or tender-hearted business owners, I would strongly encourage you to get yourself a accountability buddy when it comes to running your business because it's been really, really helpful for me. But she's also a counselor. She's also somebody who works professionally in the field of mental health, which feels really apt because we do talk a lot about things in this podcast that kind of walk the line of supporting folks when it comes to their mental health. And I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. And so it feels really right to be able to bring this conversation to you to just accompany all the other conversations that we have. But very specifically, this conversation, we talk about grief because Maddie is going to be guiding the Moonflower members through a workshop later on in October. And to learn a little bit more about that workshop, you can visit our website and I'll tell you a little bit about it more here. So Maddie will explore what gently grieving can look like for us in a community that doesn't often shine light on how important the process of grieving is to wholehearted, authentic living. This workshop will give folks an opportunity to engage in grief in a curious, compassionate, and gentle way to help us understand what integrating grief into our individual space can look like. Following the open dialogue, Maddie will lead the Moonflower Path members through the ritual practice of building a grief altar. The workshop will offer a somatic element to ground into the workshop and release out of it. This workshop takes place on October 27th at 7 p.m. EST. So that's a Friday. It's the last Friday of the month in the evening for folks who are in EST timing. 
And like I said, you can join this gathering by becoming a Moonflower member at the Fireside tier, which gives you access to this workshop as well as everything else in the membership by visiting our website, themoonflowerpath.com slash community space or clicking the link in the show notes. However, you can also just listen to this conversation and I know that you will find a lot of support out of it. So a little bit more about our guest, Maddie, she, her, is a registered social worker, counselor, and the clinical director of Burn Bright Counseling. Burn Bright Counseling is a queer-affirming counseling practice specializing in supporting the LGBTQ2S plus community. She has lived on unceded Lekwungen and Wasanic territories, otherwise known as Victoria, BC in Canada, for the past 10 years. Maddie is also a daily griever. It is through her intimate relationship with grief that she has been able to understand what an important part of healing, growing, and living that grief plays. Maddie seeks grounding and stability in time by the ocean in the forest and on her skates playing roller derby. In this conversation, we talk about Maddie's personal story with grief and how it's shaped how she shows up as a human and a counselor, the somatic side of grieving, how we all experience grief in different forms and different ways, and how to support yourself through its ups and downs, how to gently support a friend in their grieving process, and what to expect in the very special Gently Grieving Workshop happening in the Moonflower Path community space later this month, which you can register for today. This is a very tender and vulnerable conversation. And I just want to mention a trigger warning around subjects of grief, loss, and death. So if you know that listening to those subjects be talked about in very tender and vulnerable ways will bring you distress, please avoid listening to this episode. However, if you are moving through a period of grief or you know somebody who is, or you have an intimate relationship in the past with it, or you're just curious to learn more, then I would really encourage you continue to listen to this conversation. I feel really honored that Maddie felt so comfortable to share as vulnerably and as tender as she did, because I know you'll get a lot out of it, no matter what your relationship with grief is. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hello, hello, Maddie. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Carolyn. It's so nice to be here with you. Please share with the listeners a bit about what parts of your journey have led you to the work you're now doing and are so passionate about. Such a good question. And I'm sure that um, I could do a whole podcast on that. So I will summarize to the best of my abilities. Um, I Because I think that it's probably all the moments in my life and many parts that make up the fabric of my being to lead me to where I am. But um, so that people can understand who I am, maybe I'll start with where I am now and carry us backwards. But as people heard, I'm a counselor and I um, specialize in supporting like queer folks with like varying subjects. Um, And the thing that I'm here to talk about today 
is grief because I also um, support a lot of people around grief and have my own my own experiences with grief. Um, in terms of becoming a counselor, I think that from a very young age, I always was someone in a supporting role to like friends and family, um, things that went on in my family unit that I ended up being like supportive role for kind of like helping. I was that friend that a lot of people wanted to talk to. Um, I think I gave a lot of advice when I was younger. Um, once you train to be a counselor, you learn that's not really what you're supposed to do. But as a teenager, you don't know that. So you just give the advice. Um, it felt really natural. I think my transition it, it, into counseling, it didn't happen really um, I didn't have my like sight set on being a counselor necessarily. I just knew I wanted to help people. Um, and through every job that I've had and the supervisors that I've had and the people that I've worked with very smoothly, did I end up, I feel like where I am, which I feel very grateful for. Um, and in terms of supporting queer people quickly, you know, I found like, I am a queer person and I found that a lot of the young people that I was working with um, really appreciated like the fact that I could understand lots of the nuances of like walking around in this world as a queer person and how queerness intersects with a lot of um, other challenges that they might've been having, like mental health, like family relationships, like romantic relationships. Um, and so I felt like what a lot of, youth were telling me was that you know they didn't have other counselors like that and that it was hard to talk to other counselors about those things and so um I started my practice two years ago with the intention of having a place where people don't have to come and only talk about you know things related to queerness but what they can what they can know walking into burn bright counseling is that we understand and we have context for like who they are and how they're living their life and and the intersections of queerness in the other spaces of their life and that feels really good to be able to do that um and it's obviously come from a place of like my own uh experiences and wanting to also be understood as a queer person like in you know in my healthcare um and all my other clinicians are queer as well and so um that's that's in a nutshell what led me there. Um, again, it's a little bit more complex, but we don't have time for all. And in terms of grief, do you want me to share what has to grief yeah. work? Yeah. I think that I have been acquainted with grief since I was quite young. Um, I've been going to funerals of people in my family since I was probably three, four, I think that I can remember, you know, um, that I actually have a memory of. And so I think grief has actually always been very present in my life in a very, in a, in a death formation too. So, um, and we'll go into it, but grief is not just death, but specifically, um, I think my earliest formations, um, of like grief memories are death and, it's always been there, but seven years ago, um, my mom and my aunt passed away about two months away from each other. 
And my relationship with grief changed dramatically in that year. Um, became very well acquainted with a kind of loss that is really inexplainable. It's much bigger and deeper and harder than any other kind of loss or, or grief experience that I've had. And I would say that kind of catapulted me into uh, in my own grief healing, but then also working to help others kind of understand and walk with their grief. Um, so that is, that is kind of the, the moment I would say that deepened my understanding of grief. Um, and maybe even uh, gave me that kind of desire to want to help other people understand theirs too. Mm. Did you find that you were, so how long had you been a counselor? I'm like going off script here. So how Mm. long were you a counselor before professionally, before you lost your aunt and your mom? Um, I mean, I've been in the fields, I've been post undergraduate degree in the field for 10 years now. So, so if my mom died, so three-ish, maybe, yeah, maybe three and a half, four, maybe, maybe that does. Yeah. Three and a half, four. Okay. The Um, reason I asked that is because you must've had some sort of like foundational and like cognitive and like educational knowledge of folks' experience with grief. And you do say that you did have a personal experience with it, but there, it must have been, I can imagine, and I'm curious to hear more about your experience with shifting from knowing it like up in your head and then experiencing it on like a real visceral body level. And I'd be curious to hear about if there was anything that you were it's probably hard to put this into words, but like almost surprised by of like, you know, you're like, oh, like I know this. But then when it happens, you're like, whoa, did I even know this? Like, I'd be curious to hear about that. Oh, yeah. I feel like it's so funny because I knew grief, but I don't feel like I knew grief until until my mom and my aunt. Um, yeah, like. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I haven't really, I wasn't able to like make sense of it or like understand it. I wasn't able to bring the like personal experience and the like, you know, knowledge as a counselor, right. And, and kind of like the understanding of grief and loss. Um, you know, I mean, I took a, I took a course in my undergrad on grief and loss, you know, but as I have said to many people, many of my students and things before too, is like, reading is great understanding things is great but it cannot be the like personal experience I mean you learn far more like I can learn all about how to counsel someone in school and and do you know pretend like do things and it's not that that doesn't help because it does but until I'm actually in it and doing it and having like real life real-time supervision that's that's when you like build the kind of like holistic competency of being able to like put your like knowledge and and like what you've learned in school and then you're like intuitive and personal mm-hmm. understandings into it and so that didn't really happen until after 
my mom and my aunt passed away and I was able to like work through some of my healing journey. Um, the things that I was surprised about so many things, so, so many things. Um, you know, at that whole, I think it feels cliche to say it, but that whole, like, there's not like one way to like grieve. There's not like a right way to grieve or one way. Um, but I think what was surprising was watching how myself, my mom, um, my family members, right? Like how all of us coped really differently, right? And and what that looked like for each of us and how that interacted with each other. Um, and some people surprised me and some people didn't. And in moments I surprised myself as well. Um, and in moments I didn't. I think the other thing that surprised me that you don't really find out until you go through something like this. And I, I think there's a part of me that might've known it, but is that grief like that never goes away. So it isn't actually a matter of like healing past the grief. It's a matter of like figuring out how I live with it now and how I walk with it, like how to make it, you know, a part of me and a part of my my every day really how to leave space for it I think that I might have known that but now I really know that in a different way mm. I think that's yeah that's really beautifully put I think it ties in really nicely to kind of what we're here talking about and also what the themes and the lessons are around this season like a fall where like I find fall definitely is a celebration of those parts of ourselves that are whatever that are, are darker heavier whatever we want to call them and that it's not about yeah getting rid of them or moving past them or being cured by them or whatever and that it's having the skills and the experience and the ability and the support system to be able to have it be there and be a part of you, not overwhelm you, not take over your life, but that it's still there and that that's okay. Mm -hmm. And important, in fact. Yeah, it's, like it's a part of you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow, mm -hmm. okay. that's really nicely put. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, also I realize I'm like terrible with math and counting because I'm a counselor, not a mathematician, but it's been six years, not seven. So it's been six years, yeah. So that makes sense that I was counseling for about four before. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think the other thing that I think is really fun about what you, well, fun about what you said, whatever, fun's not the right word, but is uh, it just drives home again the intuitive knowledge that we have that lived experience has just as much weight, if not more. I don't know, we could have a whole conversation about that. <laughs> to like having the piece of paper that says that you're trained in the thing mm -hmm. right because that's a huge thing that we I think is creative experience is like oh am I able to talk about this thing if I haven't officially learned it like well I don't know I would I would argue that yeah having the lived experience speaks volumes volumes because again it, it it plays around with that uh difference between learning something and feeling something and your body is so much of who you are <laughs> yeah I mean I think 
knowing comes in many different ways. We know things in all different kinds of kinds of avenues, right? Like you said, we we can know something in our body and that doesn't make it any less real or true than someone who knows it from a book or like, but it does make it different, right? And mm -hmm. in fact, you know, I think knowing something in our bodies, knowing something in our, like in our soul, in our hearts, I mean, that is far more of a powerful understanding than reading it or, or learning it from a teacher. And I think, you know, in my opinion, the best, like in terms of my particular field, you know, I think that me being the best counselor that I can be means like integrating knowledge you know that helps me with like very specific skills but like integrating that into what I know in my heart and my body like in my intuition it's both um I can't do what I do personally without the somatic understanding of what's going on in the room or what's going on with the other person or with me so I think it's an integration in my mind for, for what I do anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So on that note, um, I, I did want to talk about, so, you know, but I'm going to say it anyways. So this podcast is about somatic self-care, the moonflower path in its entirety, entirety is about somatic self-care, but I'd really love to hear your thoughts on the self-care industry as a whole. That's something that I'm like finding myself being really passionate about and like wanting to talk about is like self-care is a buzzword but here in this space we're trying to like make it be richer but also create space for all types of self-care so I'd be really curious because you are somebody who does support folks in their self-care in a different way um, but definitely are a support system in their ecosystem of self-care I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on self-care the industry what's working for folks what isn't okay yeah. I mean, this is definitely your expertise, but I will share with you my thoughts for sure. Because, because I do think that it is, it is a buzzword. And I think, you know, in therapeutic spaces, it has also become right. Like a, a buzzword in the sense of like, I do talk to my clients about self-care a lot, but I, I think I, at this point, move away from like, blanket self-care you know like what self-care right like I think sometimes I move just a little bit more towards like how are you going to care for you what what would care look like for you today um and I think that as a whole as as many things it it became commercialized right so the idea of self-care became very commercialized right and moved into like um self-care looks like spending money on these particular things that are going to help you with your self-care right um and um moved a little bit into also like luxury and into um those kind of avenues I think and then I think that folks what I really love about like what the moonflower path does what you do is that I think that you bring it into a far more like um, like it can be indulgent, but also that indulgent doesn't necessarily mean um, 
like consuming and like it can mean creating it can mean like resting it can mean moving your body it can mean being in community um and that care and self-care for us like has far more many facets than you know I think what the commercialized version of that looks like right um and I think you really do a good job at making it something that feels sustainable I think that is is what I feel like self-care when it can work is when it's like sustainable for people right when it's something that's like I can actually integrate this into my life into my um like day-to-day right and I think that with that understanding I think we were talking the other day and you were talking about like painting your nails right and how and I have another friend that that's like her self-care thing right and what a sustainable thing because you know like watching tv or being with friends or you know being in the craft circle and painting your nails for me like reading in the morning after I wake up and I read for a little bit like that is a sustainable thing that I can do and I get my books from the library and right like making it something that is actually a little bit more like ritualistic versus like something I do when I get really stressed I think that's kind of like how I try and treat care when I'm talking with people is like this isn't just something you do once you're stressed or like once you're you already had it up to here like it has to be preventative as well. And if you can like add it into your routine, that is going to be, I think the most sustainable way to like care for yourself. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. It does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, do you, do you find that in conversations that you have that there, that, that is the biggest thing that comes up like when, and if you are supporting folks around their self-care, um, the biggest thing that you notice like when something does click with caring for themselves that it's the things like it's finally when they get to that point where they're like oh I'm just I'm just choosing this thing as my self-care it's because it's something that I already do that it already brings me joy like is the do you find that that's what you see folks typically making it accessible sustainable I think okay so this is the other thing about self-care I guess Mm -hmm. what what I actually find that I work on most I'll tell you is it's a little bit less like it's already something that I do but more like something that I've wanted to do or something that I like don't do enough of right like um like for example like writing in a journal right and people are like yeah I like haven't been doing that regularly but I want to and like that's the thing that I'm going to do for myself right or um, people who are like creatives, right. Being like, oh, I'm going to like actually set aside time for art instead of just being like, if I have extra time, I'll do it. They're like, okay, I'm going to actually set it aside. Like, you know, once every couple days or right. Um, because I would say a lot of folks that I work with, like, especially in the beginning, like there isn't a lot of care happening for self. Right. Um, and the other side, the other, like, really strong feeling I have about self-care and the industry is that self-care real honest care for yourself it's not it's not all lovely and it's not all nice and sweet and fun and relaxing that's not 
what it looks like. And I think that's the biggest thing that I talk to with clients that I work with is uh, more about the hard shit. That's like the hard stuff that is so important and is care, like making yourself food, you know, like, you know, we're really depressed and we don't want to eat. Self-care is eating. Self-care is not having a bubble bath in that moment. It might be, but that's not the self-care that's actually going to like help you. You know, it's like after being in a depression spiral, like cleaning your house and doing all your dishes, that is care for yourself. Right. And in fact, in terms of like integrating care on a regular basis, I'm like doing your dishes every day is actually care for yourself. Right. Like I, I, I know that self-care in the industry has made it very like pretty and very nice and very like, again, luxury. And I'm a little bit more, I think, honestly focused on the practical pieces of like, when I say care, like, if you think about caring for like an animal or like a small human, how do you care for them? Sure. You give them baths and you pet them and you relax with like animals obviously <laughs> you play with them like they're but what else do you do you feed them you clean up after them you um make sure that they like young folks you make sure they have like clean clothes and like that their hair is brushed right that's also care for us so I think I like often am working on those pieces with people too is like that practical basic care of like, this is actually what I need to be able to kind of like function and stabilize and feel in my body and feel grounded. I, okay, so for people who are not watching, <laughs> I'm like nodding enthusiastically. Because <laughs> like, yes, oh my gosh, yes to all of this. I just recorded and that by this time it will have already come out, but I just recorded an episode a few days ago where I talk about the difference between the things that we want to do compared to the things that we need to do where yeah. like I don't often want I mean when I'm really feeling like crap like I don't often want to get out of bed um yeah but is doing what we want to do really what we should always be doing and, and it does get really nuanced like we should yeah. be able to have desires and longings and want to want and that's allowed but this journey is absolutely one where we have to practice discernment between like the wants and the needs so I think that's really really awesome that you've shared that I'm really grateful that you've shared that that like yeah self-care is like it's like pretty shitty sometimes yeah it's hard <laughs> it is it's really not hard. all the, it's not all the easy stuff you know and but it it's important caring for ourselves is is important and it's not always easy but um all of those pieces have to be there you know I mean if we're in a depression spiral and we're having a bath with a bath bomb every day that's super good and it's 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 nice to do that for you but that's also likely not gonna get us any closer to crawling out of that depression spiral you know it'll give us some relief temporarily hopefully maybe but you know it's it's some of the other self-care pieces that we don't really want to do, but are probably going to help us feel, if anything, this is what I always say, if anything, it's not going to make us feel worse to clean the, the apartment. It's not going to make us feel worse to eat food, to do our dishes. Maybe it won't make us feel better, but it sure as heck isn't making us feel worse. 
Yeah, and I think one thing before we get to the next question that I feel like I do want to interject here is one of the things that I love about this podcast and about these conversations and about this conversation is that I do love that it's not like we're not saying like these are the things that you can do to make sure that you feel better, right? Like we're not here for that because that's not how it works. And so if you're listening and you're feeling maybe a little discouraged by that and like we're hoping to like walk away with some very kind of easy tactics and tools um i just want to be like the biggest thing i think of this journey is being really compassionately curious i feel like if you're looking for some like blanket statement is like compassionate curiosity is going to be your one of your biggest companions um because yeah, as you can hear, like it's messy and it's all over the place and self-care is like so many things um, and it's a journey. Yeah. And some days you're going to be better at it than others. Every day we're not going to be able to take care of ourselves um, at like a hundred percent and that's okay too. That's part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Hello, gentle listener. Carolyn here interrupting today's episode to tell you about our new free resource called In Tune with the Moon. Learn to listen to, trust in, and honor your body intuition so you can feel empowered to take up space in your life with the moon by your side every step of the way. This free resource includes digital moon phase calendars. So that's pretty phone wallpapers and widgets that have a moon phase calendar on them from now until the end of the year and they'll be updated in the new year. Four lunar ritual videos that are about 30 minutes in length and always follow the same comforting ritual of some gentle yoga, some meditation, and some lunar inspired journal prompts. And yes, these are cozy and accessible. All bodies, all mobility levels are very much welcome. And a digital lunar journal to deepen your relationship with yourself and the moon. By downloading this resource, you'll also begin to receive our monthly moonflower journal filled with cozy and seasonal self-care resources. Have I mentioned that it's all for free? Get in tune with the moon as well as with yourself by clicking the link in the show notes or visiting our website, themoonflowerpath.com. Okay, I need to look back at my questions because I feel like we're, (laughs) we went off on a tangent. On a more personal level, what are ways that you practice self-care? Great question. Um, this probably won't come as a surprise to most people, but therapy. <laughs> uh, another one of the hard ones. I've been in therapy on and off since I was six years old. So, um, you know, for anyone who thinks you should be like finished your counseling journey or you like, yeah, I'll be in therapy for my whole life. Um, so I go to therapy regularly. Um you know, and I have a wonderful counselor and it's a really good fit. And, um, I've been seeing this counselor since my mom like passed away. So we really started with lots of grief work and, you know, continued out into the rest of my life. Um, I also play roller derby and I would classify that as a form of my self-care specifically if we're going to talk about somatic, right? Because I would say that Playing a sport for me is 
like I didn't growing up. And for me, playing roller derby is a way where I really get out of my head and into my body. Um, but I all but there's lots of emotions in roller derby. We always say like there's crying in roller derby um, because there so is lots of us cry all the time. It's like very emotional, but it's allowed to be. And it's also this like physical um, representation of our emotions. So I would say that is a form of my self-care like 100%. It's also my physical activity, like, like the majority of it, um, which is self-care for, for those who didn't connect that. I spend a lot of time at the ocean. Um, I live on the Kwangan and Mosanic territories in like otherwise known as Victoria in British Columbia um, on Vancouver Island. So I live right near the ocean and I go there a lot. And I have always since I moved here, um, but especially now, um, like every weekend, pretty much walk there like every Saturday, every Sunday and sit by the ocean, you know, and luckily, you know, we don't get really snow. So do it all winter long as well. So I would say like, you know, my connection to the ocean feels really like a really strong form of self-care. Um, I am also learning to take days off, um, like extra days, like stat holidays and things, because as an entrepreneur, like, you know, I get to decide my own schedule. And so I would also say that's becoming a form of my self-care as well. Um, and as you probably notice, most of these things are not like, like fancy things right that I was talking about and I think that's how my self-care journey has also really shifted is a lot of the ways that I feel like I actually care for myself has to do a little bit more with these like practical like and so and soul-filling things that I do um and sometimes I don't want to go for a walk I'll be honest I'm really tired sometimes like play a big roller derby game on Saturday and on Sunday I'm like wow my body hurts so much I don't really want to go for a walk but then I go for a walk by the ocean and I'm like, oh, wow, that was so great for my body and my soul and to like be outside in nature. Wow. Um, so yeah, those are a few ways. I mean, there's many ways. I, I think I try and integrate it into like most things that I do in my life, but those are the big ones. Hmm. Okay. I, uh, I haven't actually seen this reel, but Sarah has like mentioned this, Sarah, my wife has mentioned this reel to me a couple of times that apparently like was really popular during COVID, but it's like people going on their like oh, pandemic yeah. walks and it's like yeah. going on my stupid walk for my stupid mental health. <laughs> it's just like, yes. It's so good. Yeah. That's exactly it. I know you get that too. You walk, you walk too lots. Yeah. 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 yeah I do. And if I didn't have my dog Nala, I don't think I would walk nearly as much as I do. And I'm so I'm very grateful for that, having that excuse. I can't skip it. So yeah. 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 Okay. Let's get, we're going to jump back into grief and talk. Cause you, you mentioned this a little bit briefly in your answer of the somatic experience of grief. So I'd love for you to expand more on that, on what grief is and how very specifically it is a somatic experience. I mean, I don't know if I can define grief in a very nice wrapped up bow, but, uh, you know, grief is, grief is like an overwhelming experience of, I would say like loss, 
And what that loss is, it really depends, right? I mean, it can be a loss of a physical person or a thing, you know, a material item, but it can also be like the loss of a future, an expected future. It can be the loss of like a sense of self or like a sense of somebody else. Like it's not always like a death that ends up leading us to grief. Um, like we can, we can grieve when we lose our job, right? Like we can grieve when we, like we grieve when we break up with people, when families separate, right? So grief is complex and complicated, but I think if I was to summarize, it would be, you know, the feelings, the experience that takes place due to some form of loss, um, which we think about it that way where that happens all the time right in our lives many times will we lose something right um somatically again I think like I didn't some of my earliest like somatic memories maybe of grief are like if I'll paint a picture maybe um one of the the first funeral I remember is my uncle Sean who died of AIDS when I was four I think and my mother who was stone cold um not really but she wasn't stone cold but she definitely didn't cry a lot is what I'll say um she was so like warm and open but like she was oh stoic that's what I'm looking for she was like very stoic I will say not stone cold um the first like one of the memories at that funeral is my mom like crying like wailing crying and her body like I can see her body like crumbling and my father like you know holding her and and kind of like like comforting her but you know even that from a visceral or from a somatic sense like it's just like this crumbling of her whole body mm-hmm. fast forward I'm 13 and my grandfather passed away my dad's dad and I remember lying in his house so we had you know because we had sold we sold his house and I'm lying in his bedroom where his bed used to be with like starfish on the floor and talking to him like just you know in my in in the ether right like telling how much I loved him and I definitely I felt him and my other grandparents because he was the last grandparent to die so like all four of my grandparents I could feel all of them with me and my whole body you know I'm crying and my whole body is like tingling right um and it was like you know I felt like a lot of lightness, surprisingly enough, um, in that moment. Fast forward, you know, um, to my mom and my aunt, my mom's sister, you know, passing away. And we, so they had cancer. And so we knew, so we found out and um, my mom, it was about six months when we found out and my aunt, it was like three-ish or so. Um, And I think that somatic experience was really different and really 
complicated because it hurt a lot to be in my body because it hurt a lot to to know that I was like losing my mother and my aunt and so I spent I think a lot of time in my brain and out of my body um which was a protection mechanism which is okay and you know like crying in derby you can't not be in your body in derby right and I remember I was scrimmaging one time and I like burst into tears you know could not stop and uh, a fellow like skater of mine who lost her brother and knew grief very deeply came and like undid my skates for me and we're like taking them off and our safety officer was like are you okay and my friend's like oh it is not it is not a physical injury right mm. um because being in my body there was like no way to stop that pain so it took me some time, I think, to come back into my body and I would go in waves of like being in and being very emotional and very upset and then coming out of it and then going in and coming out. Um, and it was like a very weird roller coaster <laughs> mm -hmm. for me. Um, and I mean, I'm in my body now and I have been for a long time, which feels really nice but it definitely took some time to to want to be back in my body frequently um and then the lingering somatic effects are that you know you you feel it like even when I talk about it right I mean I can feel it in my chest as I'm talking about it right and when it comes to that time of year or like the time of year when we found out or the time of year that she passed away like things just don't feel right in my body right I'm tired I'm like sore I'm like pretty exhausted during those times and sometimes I forget why like I mean well I don't really forget why now but not with my mom sometimes with like my aunt's timeline you know I like forget and then I'll be like oh right mm -hmm. my mom's timeline is like very solidly locked away there um and, but my aunts have, my aunt lost her mom when she was 27 and she's in her sixties now. And she said the same thing happens. She like, will get really tired and, and emotional and like, just like exhausted and her body aches at the same time every year. And then she realizes, shit, this is when her mom died. Um, which just gives such evidence to like how connected our like emotional and physical bodies are. We do not give enough credit for that, I think. Hello, Moonflower. Carolyn here. Just wanting to jump into this episode after some pretty raw subject matter to offer you just an invitation to take a deep breath just to reset and reground, come back into your body if you're feeling some things. So let's do this together. Inhale. Out the mouth, let it go. Okay, let's jump back in. Thank you for sharing all of that. That's big, big stuff. And it sounds like acknowledging your body and 
being as gentle and caring and soft with your body as you can during the process is essential. And also being really kind with the periods of time when you don't actually really want to be in your body mm -hmm. and that that's okay. Yeah. 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 Let it happen, you know? And I, I think, I don't, I think I was in so much pain that I don't know if I could judge, but that's what I would say is that compassion that you're talking about is like, really try and suspend judgment because yeah. like grief is hard and it's tough. And I think I trusted myself to come back in eventually because I always have. And mm -hmm. I knew that's what I wanted to do, but our bodies and our brains are really smart and they protect us sometimes. And I think I kind of handed the reins over a little bit to my body mm -hmm. and said, okay, like, okay, I'll like trust that, you know, when you're, when I'm out of my body, maybe that's like, I'll trust that my body's doing what it needs to do in this very moment. So that I don't know, I could, I was also in, in school. So, you know, like maybe I needed to be out of my body so I could write a paper. I don't know. Right. And I just trusted it. Okay. I feel like this is a really nice time in the episode, in the conversation, um, for us to come to this question. So to the listeners who are navigating a period of grief right now, as you're listening, what would be one gentle thing that you'd like to say to them? I think that what I want to say is that I know that it hurts and that it's hard. Period. Yeah. Yeah. Can't know that until you know that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this season is a time that that might those feelings might come up and as like I'm speaking directly to the listeners here so like as you're listening you might you might be noticing that like as you're listening some stuff is coming up like some emotions might be bubbling up or some physical sensations are bubbling up and maybe Maddie is putting some words to what you didn't even know that you were feeling or an experience that you were feeling so yeah listen to those words of like it's it's tough mm -hmm. just recognizing that yeah and there's no one straight way or one <clears throat> one straight line on how to do this yeah i mean we are built for it we're built for all the emotions that we have even though some of us you know myself included i think you too carolyn right and when you're a sensitive person we might feel like emotions are too big for our body, but they're not. They're big, but they're not too big for us. We can do it and we, we don't have to do it alone. I think that's the other piece is like grief is individual, but coping, coping doesn't have to be. Yeah. So that's something else that I wanted to touch on before we get into the very last question of talking about the workshop that you'll be facilitating in the community spaces what what well, I don't know advice whatever what would you say in terms of supporting folks that are grieving because maybe that's not an experience that listeners personally have an experience with but like it touches all folks and so yeah let's talk about that a little bit more if you can about being in community and grieving together and supporting each other mm-hmm 
This one's so hard. I think some of the things that I think about when I'm supporting, like when I think about people supporting each other or supporting a loved one or support or like grieving as a community is first of all, like let them, like let people grieve, right? Like let's not try and turn away from it or like do the like, it's fine. It's okay. It's, it's okay. It's like not okay. It's not like it's shitty and it's hard and it hurts and like just like letting letting it be really hard and it's it, it can be challenging to hold other people's grief and listen not everyone has to and not everyone does feel comfortable with that and that's okay too but if you can just let them right that's part of the process so you know listen to them that's another thing because people will often tell you you know they can sometimes tell you what they need or what they want and it might not be in the terms of like I'm gonna feel better if you do this but um you know it might be like you know do you want to like come and watch a movie with me listen to them that's probably what they actually want to do is even if they're not watching the movie you know even if you are actually talking instead of watching like just listen to what they say that they want right um, I think grief as an individual thing is really complicated when we're grieving in community. Like if there's like a, you know, for example, right now in, on the mainland in BC, there are like really devastating fires, like, you know, raging and destroying communities. You know, my aunt lives really close and like part of her community is, is on fire and, um, you know, it's interesting to listen and watch about their community kind of like grieving and what's happening right now. And I would say that even when we're doing it in community, like grief is individual. Like I said, everyone's like way of coping and understanding and experience grief is going to be different. So also leave room for those differences. Like we can have a shared experience, you know, like, like a community being on fire or like for my family, like losing my mother, but me and my brother's, all grieved differently but we all grieved right and so leaving space for like grieving together and also individually and the final thing I would say which I think this one is always like this one feels really important is that and it might be hard for people but don't ask what people need help with and don't say Try not to say like anything you need, I'll be there. Because honestly, when you are deep in grief, the last thing that you know how to do or the last thing that you like have capacity for is to actually like figure out like the practical needs, you know? So, I mean, some people might be able to, but like for me, I would say like when I was in grief with my mom, for example, like, um, my friends really wanted to see me and I didn't really know how to be around people. And I was like talking to them to my friends and like a cleaning business. And I was like, oh, I'm going to like clean my house, like clean my parents' house while my mom is in the hospital. So that when she comes back and they're like, great, we're going to come over and, and clean. We have all the supplies. We have everything. We're just going to come over. Like, okay. And, you know, afterwards they were like, well, we knew that you needed help. And also we knew that that was like the way to see you because we like, we wanted to see you, but we knew you weren't going to hang out. 
So we just did the thing that you said you were doing, right? Or people just like brought food over. They weren't like, what kind of food do you need? Or do you need food? They just like brought it over. You know, knowing that like, if we ate it great and if we didn't, whatever we did, like just doing something versus like asking or waiting for that person can be really helpful. Small things, not things that overstep, but you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So listen, if the person is saying what they want. Yep. And then if they're not, but you still want to help, don't ask them because they don't have the capacity to yeah. respond. Try and come up with something. Totally. And honestly, food is always a good one. I think like, it's always, it's always one that like, you know, in my Derby community and my friend group, if someone's going through something, we like send them a DoorDash card, you know, because we're like, you know what? Food is one of those things that like, we always need to eat, but the capacity to make food and buy groceries and do that stuff, that's like one of the first things that can kind of fall to the side when we're in, you know, any type of hard time. So, I mean, I would say that is always a good call is like buy them groceries if you know what they like or get them a DoorDash card or, a, you know, a card to their favorite restaurant or make them something, you know, they love and bring it over and just say, I don't care if you eat it now or whatever, but here you go. Right. And yeah, seriously, it's like always a good one. I love that. It's also, yeah, my brother had a baby a year ago and, or almost two years ago. And that was even that at a beautiful time, they weren't even grieving, <laughs> but it was just a big time. And that was the biggest thing that they asked for. It was like, please just bring us food. Um, so okay. yes, yes. Okay. So to wrap up our conversation, before I ask this question, I just want to say kind of the why of why I decided to invite Maddie into the community space to offer this workshop. And it's because if you've listened to the last few episodes, this season is an opportunity to learn the lessons and learn the experience of letting go, of releasing, of maybe grieving. And as you have discovered within this conversation that that doesn't only mean losing a loved one in death and it very much can, but there are many different ways that we grieve. And this season is an opportunity to be able to dive into the messy, but also beautiful at the very same time process of letting go. So I think it'll be a really wonderful opportunity for members to be able to learn from Maddie and um, to be able to grieve together like we've talked about. So Maddie, could you tell us a little bit more about the workshop that you'll be facilitating called Gently Grieving? Yeah. Um, I want to say, first of all, to like, thank you for inviting me into the community space and inviting me on the podcast. I feel very honored and grateful to get to be a part of the moon flower path um experience the workshop gently grieving offer community members an opportunity to like i said i think at the beginning to kind of understand grief from you know a more complex place than just death and to learn a little bit about how to walk with it day to day and like what it can look like to allow grief 
into our life, you know, not to avoid it or to um, try and skirt around it, but to like actually allow it in and to have, you know, for lack of better word, but I think it's actually the perfect word is like how to have a relationship with your grief and how to make that a healthy relationship that involves listening and communication and time spent. Um, and as part of the workshop, we are going to um, build an altar, like a grief altar, um, which is like a, a ritual practice that I do quite frequently. Um, and so we're going to learn a little bit about how to do that and do that together in the space, just even a mini one um, during the workshop. And then you will be able to take that learning and, and kind of integrate it into maybe like the times in the year where your grief feels really big or times in the year where you feel like you really want to connect with your grief and like honor it and give it space. Um, and I'm really excited. I'm excited to be able to do that with people and for it to be held by you um, as well. And I think that it's going to be a really like I want to say good, even though we don't always associate that with grief, but I, I think it's going to be a really good workshop that allows a space to like have the hard things be present, but also learn how to communicate with those hard things and how to understand them. Um, and so hopefully that's what people walk away with is like, how can I communicate and connect and be in relationship with my grief? a little differently um, and maybe in a way that feels a little bit more aligned and a little bit more safe. Um, so that's my hope for the workshop. I think the biggest reason as to why I'm really looking forward to this is because just with you and I having many conversations on a very regular basis, I have firsthand had the pleasure of feeling your energy and being held by you in conversations that we've had and i know that i also have a unique ability of being able to hold space for folks and also the community members like i'm, I'm just mentioning this just in case like folks are like well this is like really tender stuff for us to be talking about with people that we might not know and just know that this community and all of the folks that are in this space like we know how to be with each other amongst hard things and hold space for each other and this is a space for people who are really tender-hearted and you're going to be really welcomed in that through the folks in the community space by maddie by myself um so i feel like i do really want to say that because this is this is not easy stuff um but we know how to be with each other when it comes to not easy stuff so yeah, yeah it's important <sighs> well thank you so freaking much for coming on to you're the first guest of season two so this is very exciting yeah. so exciting so, yeah i love to be number one and competitive <laughs> yes yes <laughs> you win whatever it is <laughs> oh man all right well thank you thank you very much for having this conversation with me thank you i feel really grateful to have had the opportunity and to share and to talk with you. And I really look forward to the workshop that we're going to do for 
your community members um, and continuing to talk with you as we always do, but also to work together too. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Steph's signing off. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Moonflower Path Podcast. I'm your host, Carolyn, and ways that you can find more support from me and this cozy community are all found in the show notes. Please consider rating, reviewing, and sharing this podcast with a friend. Those are the best ways to show your support for this free and accessible resource. Wishing you a gentle rest of your day, and I look forward to connecting again with you very soon.